Welcome back to the Ideas Podcast. Sorry it's been so long since we've been with you, but we're excited to be here and we're here together. We're in room B209. We have three authors who contributed to our most recent Ideas Journal. The journal theme is about body image and they have three kind of different unique views and different themes in body image. I'm here with Sina Morgan. I'm here with Yo Naganya. Say hi, Sina. Hi. I just have to say hi, Sina. Hi. Say hi, Sina. Hi, Sina. Say hi, Yona. Hi, Yona. So I'm here with Sina and Yona. I'm also here with Miles and Santi and Carmen. We welcome you all. We're going to start with Miles. Miles, you wrote a piece called Why More Body Diversity in Advertisement is Needed. Just to get the ball started, Miles, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to this topic, like why you chose to write about this particular theme under the banner of body image? Well, when I first started the research for a potential topic that had to do with body image, I was initially not quite so sure which position I was going to take on this because I was aware of the issue had been for quite a while. But as I looked into it more and more, it just seemed to become more clear to me that it made more sense that advertisements should be more open to various body types than be close to very few specific types because they're just so many different people of different body types and sizes that a model in its role should really be be portraying how different fashion can look on all sorts of people. And the idea that it only should be shown as weared by certain people of very specific body types doesn't really make sense, especially considering how large the actual market is for the people that end up buying these clothes that are advertised. And for instance, an interesting statistic that I came across was that 42% of all people in the United, United States are considered obese or plus-sized. And considering this massive market up till very recently was basically forgotten in marketing for the most part, this just doesn't make sense considering that the role of marketing and advertisement should really in part at least be to demonstrate and show how different fashion can appeal to all sorts of people and not very specific people. Um, I enjoyed and read your article and um, I wanted to ask what were you trying to argue in your journal contribution? Well, I feel like in my article, I wasn't just talking about necessarily how the current or these new types of advertisements can be beneficial, but also talking about how detrimental the current or previous status quo of marketing really was, because not only did that only cater to people of very specific body types, but people that did not have that body type, which was the majority of people and still is the majority of people for those people it's not just about that they don't see themselves in these advertisements it's also that these advertisements are shown as what they apparently are supposed to be or should be and sort of makes them want to strive towards that but in many cases this body type that's being shown as ideal really isn't attainable and in some cases it's physically not possible for people to attain this apparently ideal body type and even just trying to can be very dangerous it can lead to eating disorders extreme weight loss crash diets and especially also just anxiety in general that people might feel because they don't have that one specific body type and 
overall, that means that basically this one size fits all advertisement can be extremely damaging to all people and especially to younger people that might see this and just be very nervous and in general not feel comfortable about their own bodies and this can really be detrimental and make that worse. So I feel like that's another main point that I was really trying to hammer home. So Miles, you've already made a bunch of good points in your article and while you were just talking, but um, what do you wish more people knew about this topic? Like, what is the takeaway? Well, similarly to what I just said, I think a lot of people don't realize how damaging the sort of traditional type of advertising is and how much damage it can really cause. And I especially think that Another thing that's associated with the older type of fashion advertisements that a lot of people don't realize is how closely it's tied to societal roles and stereotypes, because it's not just about the size and type of the body, but it also relates heavily to gender roles, for instance. There's traditionally been a very clear divide in what's apparently the ideal male body type and ideal female body type, which first of all excludes people that are not on this binary spectrum of gender. and for the people that are, again, there are all sorts of different body types and I think it's really important that people just learn to appreciate them and understand that human diversity is not people being lazy, but it's just a great thing and it's natural and it's something that should be celebrated. So Miles, I just have one kind of follow-up question and you didn't address this directly in your piece, but it's a conversation that you and I had a couple of weeks ago during an ideas meeting. And I think we were both a little stumped about this, since which time you've had some opportunities to reflect. See, you conclude your contribution to this edition of the Ideas Journal by saying that the media portraying plus-sized models is a long-awaited improvement and a sign of progress that should be celebrated. And I'm with you. Everybody at this table is with you. This should be celebrated. At the same time, like you and I discussed, there is kind of maybe sort of this problem of exploitation. You and I were talking about Victoria's Secret using plus-sized models to sell panties and bras, which is great. There's more representation there. But it seems like there might be something exploitative in this. You and I talked about an advertisement that I walk past on the way to school every day where there's a woman who is a double amputee and her sort of like shiny gold legs are being on some level exploited by advertisers. So it's great, of course, that we have different types of bodies being shown, but you and I I think share a nagging concern that while there's more representation, there's also an opportunity for more exploitation. And I hope I could get you to talk about that a little bit. Well, obviously I'm not the sole judge of everything in the world, but personally, <laughs> no. I feel morally at least fairly neutral about this topic, given that what is ultimately happening at the end is that these advertisements help create a more open and diverse world that is more accepting of all sorts of different people. Despite this, the means to achieve this are often from places of, let's say, not universally only good morality. And while all of this seems good, there is, of course, the fact that the reason for a lot of companies to engage in this type of 
advertisement comes solely from profit and a way of exploiting people's nature basically for their own gain. And I feel like that's pretty much a fact. And I'm not going to argue that Victoria's Secret truly just cares about the openness of our society, but rather is to an extent exploiting different people to get what they want, which is more advertisement, more exposure, and in the end, more money. But this is a broad statement that can be applied to any advertisement. Every advertisement is created with the incentive to earn money and they sugarcoat things and they change things and they show things either the way they are in a very specific light or completely change the way things look from what they actually are. And this is something that every advertisement does, every advertiser does, and in the end, you can't really stop this. And in the end, if there's gonna be this exploitation anyway, it's better to have more diversity than less diversity, in my own humble opinion. So that was great from Miles, but we're also welcoming another author from the Our Latest Journal, Santiago, who wrote about ignoring men's struggles with body image and self-acceptance. So Santi, welcome to the podcast. Um, I mean, let's just start off right away. Why did you decide to write about this article topic? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, So when I first moved to Berlin from Mexico, it was a big cultural change for me. Uh, I was kind of stereotyped as the Mexican kid um, when I first came to JFK. And that had an impact on my own self-image and before coming to JFK, I didn't really have much access to social media or the American mainstream media culture, I guess. Um, but that big change for me led to a lot of insecurities for me. Um, and then I joined the swim team. And with swimming, I've also dealt, you know, I'm always kind of very self-aware and self-conscious of my body image because it's a sport where, you know, I'm out there in just my swimsuit. Um, um, uh, you know, it's it's a sport where, you know, you work out and you learn to feel good about your body. But at the beginning, when I first joined the team, I was not very um, confident in myself. Uh, so it's a struggle that I felt really talked to me. Um, this topic, when I first saw it on the list of possible topics for the journal, I felt it spoke to me really strongly. So I felt, you know, I had something to say. And uh, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was actually really nice to hear about. Um, Another thing I was wondering is um, what were some points that you were trying to argue with your journal contribution to try and bring awareness to? Yeah, so in my article, my main argument was that we all have different body types and everyone struggles with body image at one point or another in their life. Um, It's something that we all, I guess, have to go through at some point. And it's part of growing up as well. And I feel like this journal, the Ideas Journal, which it's, I mean, our main, our main audience is the teens and, you know, kids that are growing up in JFK. They're all students and they're also dealing with these kinds of struggles. And I felt, I felt that the topic is one that's really underrepresented in the mainstream media. And I feel like it should be discussed more. And yeah, I mean, we all struggle with body image and, um, like Miles said in his article, actually, uh, I mean, much of a body type is genetics. And when we see these really, um, these portrayals of the ideal body image in the mainstream media, that can be really harmful to a lot of people because those ideals are 
unattainable to some people, to a lot of people, most people actually. They're impossible. And like also on Instagram and social media, there's these edited pictures, you know, they make them look like they're so incredible. And then you realize, you know, they're completely edited. That's not real life. And I feel like it's a topic that's not discussed as much for men as it is for women or other genders. Um, yeah, I felt it was something that should be discussed more. So you talked about like the main thing you wanted to argue in your article, but maybe you can talk a little bit about what are the most interesting or most important things you learned while writing it and what you want to share to our audience. Yeah. So for my article, I, I had to do a lot of introspection and, you know, deep self evaluation, I guess, about my own struggle with body image. Um, and I've realized through, you know, now that I'm a senior and I, I think I've, I've gone through most of those issues and I've come out on top, I've realized that it's, those struggles are a process. And, you know, by saying, by writing an article about it and saying that, you know, we should all be more encouraging of people to um, be more accepting and whatnot of other people and other, of all men's body types, I feel like that, um, ignores the fact that it's a process and it's not an immediate thing. You know, it's, you have to go through these struggles, perhaps. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think the most important point for me was that this struggle with body image is a process and it's not one moment where you just realize, hey, you know what, it doesn't matter that much, but it's a process and it takes time, like most things in life. So Santi, first, um, I just want to say that in reading your piece and, you know, kind of hearing your voice when you say the consequence for many, including myself at some point or another, is deep self-loathing, insecurity, and a complete lack of self-love and respect for who you are and the body you were born with. It's messed up, you say, and it's not just something I struggle with. When I read that, I was really moved by it and like I kind of felt like I wish I knew and like you know I knew you back then and maybe we could have talked about it and like you never know right you never know when someone's struggling with body image you know my image of your body is at a fashion show where you damn near took the house down uh, yeah forever in infamy um, and it's kind of interesting to me that like in a way you're way to overcome it was both introspection and self-evaluation as you say but also through like a good healthy sport turning yourself into something of an adonis so the easiest way kids to overcome <laughs> body image issues is to become a swimmer and uh look like <laughs> quote-unquote the sexiest man alive and that's actually the question <laughs> i wanted to ask you you cited people magazine's sexiest man alive issue right and like you saw this as problematic that there should be a sexiest man alive issue and what was interesting to me about that is like there are so many other spaces where there's like some version of the sexiest woman alive there's all of this kind of exploitation of women's bodies and then there's like this one issue of people magazine every year where they exploit men and I guess I was kind of wondering if I could get you to talk about like whether you think that having some kind of like parity between male and female genders in this landscape where like if we're going to have 
like an endless conversation about women's bodies. Should we have one issue a year where we also talk about men? Or is it just like a bad idea to talk about the sexiest people alive regardless of their gender? I will say that I'm an agnostic on this. I'm not trying to push you in one direction or another. But I would like to hear you talk about it. Would you be so kind? It's a tough topic to discuss. <laughs> I mean, it's got a lot. Um, yeah. In general, I think the idea of putting people on, up on that pedestal of, you know, this is the sexiest person alive right now and you should try to be like them. I think that's really harmful to a lot of people. Um, as I said earlier, I mean, those body types for a lot of people are completely unattainable and portraying them in that way that's almost godlike, I guess, and on that pedestal makes it even more problematic for some people because that can lead to struggles with mental health and other self-detrimental behaviors. On the topic of body image, thank you once again, Santi, for your contribution. Really nice to hear, I guess, some of your personal stories too. On the topic of body images, we're going to try and pivot to our next author, Carmen, uh, wrote a really awesome article about the problem of body image among people who are trans. Carmen, what brought you to this topic and why did you choose to write about it? Um, well, obviously this was um, very personal. Obviously everyone who is here knows I'm trans, but it's a very, very personal article for me that actually I was almost wrote anonymously, honestly. But I wrote this article because, um, well, like Santi, I was actually also in swim team for eight years and I always did a lot of sports. But the moment I came out as trans, I found that all of those areas that I wasn't necessarily comfortable in, but at least um, sort of welcomed in, felt hostile. And I couldn't really figure out why this was until, um, you know, upon reflection, I found that it was me being uncomfortable with my body in, you know, a men's locker room in a swimming pool. And I also wrote this article being in the midst of, you know, pursuing medical transition and kind of being in a weird state of flux that I think people who medically transition will understand kind of being in between, you know, surgery and hormone therapy. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of on the precipice of maybe acceptance. I mean, I hope so. And that's why I felt really inclined to write this article is because um, not only do I think it's really important, but honestly to help sort, help myself sort some of my own things out. So you talked a little bit about why you decided to write this article, but maybe you can talk about um, what you're trying to argue in this article. Like, what really do you want your audience to remember? Oh, I mean, I, I think that the things I'd like the audience to remember is that the issue of body image is amplified when you have dysphoria, when you are, you know in my case, a very like short, kind of skinny, interestingly shaped person. And I wanted people to remember that, you know, we have this issue of like diverse models or the sexiest man alive. And I highly doubt we're ever going to see a trans, you know, sexiest man alive, although like eh, Elliot Page, I don't know. Um, and so I find that the most important thing I want to say in this article is that it's both our responsibility as transgender people and as cisgender people to educate ourselves on the way medical transition can look or can not look and how 
you know, it's really not um, biological sex that makes people beautiful. And that's really what we have to remember. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all know this is like a very personal article to you. And also, I would just like to say thank you for being vulnerable and open to our audience. But um, I guess I want to ask you, was there anything you learned or was there any new information that you kind of found out while doing your research on this topic? Well, I mean, of course, yes. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me early on was the statistics about um, transgender and LGBT men in terms of body acceptance that are seriously, seriously alarming. And I actually wrote an article previous to this one about the ties between gender and sexuality. And I found that kind of re-emerging during my research when I came across a statistic that if you read the article, you know, is published by the Mental Health Foundation of the UK that showed that um, not only do transgender people have poor body image, but queer men overall have very serious images, um, imagery issues. And I found it honestly startling, you know, tying into Santiago's article, actually, for me, I always considered body issues when I experienced them maybe a product of my upbringing as like a female in society. And it was really something that happens to all genders. And, you know, that was a, a unexpected slap in the face. So Carmen, like the others, I'm really grateful that you shared some of your story with us and that you contribute to the journal uh, as ever. Your contributions to the journal are, are second to none. And there's a lot of provocative passages and statements in this article, and I would urge our listeners to, to, to read it carefully. The one thing that kept me thinking is this line of dysphoric distress in order to access medical transition in Germany, which is covered by insurance, it's required to have a therapist write a letter, or sometimes multiple letters, confirming, again, dysphoric distress, and essentially saying that the benefits of medical transition for a trans individual outweigh the benefits of abstaining from it. I'm hoping I could get you to talk a little bit about what you call dysphoric distress. Okay, so this is a complicated topic, but dysphoric distress is not necessarily a term I would use, but it's a term the German government coined after a trial in the 90s, which supposedly proves that transgender people's dysphoria can be cured by therapy and therefore do not need surgery. So in now, since that trial, when a person wants to pursue, you know, gender transition surgeries, the therapist must say that we tried therapy, it didn't make the dysphoria go away. And since this person is in a state of dysphoric distress, which is the fact that therapy did not quote unquote, and I hate this word, did not quote unquote cure your dysphoria, you need surgery. And this, this one hits pretty personally to me because I have just submitted uh, documents from my therapist saying I am in distress uh, and therefore need surgery. And this distress was written as like, you know, not being able to look at myself in the mirror without being g a little bit grossed out. I shower with a shirt on because I don't like seeing my body. And insurance refused because I was not distressed enough. So I now have to go back to my therapist and have to write myself a letter talking about my distress. Um, and I, yeah, so dysphoric distress is really uh, an insurance term that says like, you know, this person, if just they do not receive, you know, surgery will uh, suffer the consequences. Um, yeah, so very serious kind of 
almost nasty topic to me that's very personal. So It makes us all the more grateful that you're willing to share that with us. I was unaware that it was sort of a legal term of art, as you describe it. You also write, and I'm quoting here, as trans people, we can always better educate ourselves on medical transition, even if it does not apply to us specifically. Transition goals are specific to the individual, but each one of us can support one another by sharing experiences and tips, celebrating successes, and reminding ourselves that conventional beauty standards are simply weak constructs. And the transcendental experience, which is living as a transgender, demonstrates this as such. Perfectly worded. I love that passage. Everyone at the table is smiling and appreciating the prose. There's just one part of that that I was hoping I could get you to talk a bit more about. You write, transition goals are specific to the individual. Can I be so bold as to ask you what your individual transition goals look like and feel like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the first thing I put out and say is that obviously I'm very open to talking about this, but I don't have to be. And most transgender people aren't, and they don't owe it to you to know what their transition goals are. That being said, I think it's really important to get an idea of what that might look like. And for me, I knew that a transition goal for me was to be on testosterone and have a lower voice, which has happened. No, Um, (laughs) no, no, no. But, um, you know, I mean, to an extent, it's definitely changed. And so uh, having been on testosterone for almost exactly a year, um, yay, um, that goal has sort of been fulfilled. And that goal was brought on by noticing that I was very hesitant to talk to people because I had to hear sort of what to me felt squeaky. I've been told it wasn't um, voice. I also know that top surgery was a transition goal for me because I love swimming. I love swim team. I'm not comfortable in a swimsuit right now and I'm not comfortable in the locker room and I don't change my shirt anywhere in public. And for that reason, you know, top surgery was a goal for me and simply just kind of you know, free up my thoughts so I'm not constantly worrying about how my appearance might be um, feeling to other people. But that's specific to me. And I know that there are transgender men who don't want to go on testosterone or can't because of medical reasons. And the same goes for surgery. And so while this is seems like a very general, like, oh, check hormones, check therapy. And I did go that route, which no problem with that. Um, I know lots of people who haven't. So, yeah. On that note, I'd just like to say thank you, Carmen, Santiago, and Miles so much for being vulnerable and uh, being on the podcast in general. It's really nice to have you guys with us. Um, And then also to our listeners, thank you for listening. And if you support our mission, you can go over to Buy Me a Coffee. It's in our show notes and uh, show your support a little bit. In addition, I'd also like to thank my co-host, Yona Gagne, for joining us today. And Daniel Lazar, who I think most of you guys are well aware of at this point. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. But... um, One more thing, it's very important to all of us and ideas that if you care about these issues that you feast your eyes on our latest journal issue. Um, So yeah, that's also linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.